If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Acts chapter 15, where we're going to finish chapter 15. We're going to jump into a little bit of chapter 16 and to see what the Lord um, has for us this morning. Um, If I was a a betting man, I'm not because I'm a Southern Baptist pastor, I would wager that out of every individual that's in this room today and those watching online, that at some point in your life, you have had some sort of relational conflict, whether that be at church whether that be at home or whether that be at work. Part of being a human and existing with other human beings is entering into this space where we are willing, as we walk forward together, to wrestle through issues, theological issues, philosophical issues. And oftentimes, when we find ourselves on opposite ends of those things, whether it be in the context of church or at work with a coworker or even with a spouse or perhaps one of our children, we need to be able to be equipped to know how to say things and and what to say. But also, there needs to be an awareness that exists within our relationships that even sometimes some relationships have seasons. And we see in Acts this morning, we see the ending of a relationship temporarily, but nonetheless an ending. I want to invite you to look, beginning in verse 36 of Acts chapter 15, where the text says this. Paul is well on his second missionary journey, and he's preaching and proclaiming the gospel. And after some hardship, in verse 36, it picks up where we left off, and it says, after some days... Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and let us see how they are. I find it remarkable that Paul, with all the places that he could have been, with all of the the vision and the foresight and looking ahead to the future, instead seeks to look backwards, not in a posture of going back historically, but what we see in Paul's personality, what we see in his demeanor, is this emphasis on care that Paul understood that it wasn't good enough just to see them saved and and converted to the cause of Christ, but he wanted to see them moving along and growing in the faith, pursuing Jesus and becoming the people that God intended for them to be. And so he says in a very pastoral way, because Paul understood what we understand in the vernacular that people are our mission, not the program, not the event, not the building, people are our mission. And Paul understood that, and so he tells young Barnabas, let us go back and check on these people. Verse 37 continues, he says, now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, who was also called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and not gone with them to the work. And so here in this moment, we have two rather competing visions of who comes along to do what and who is a partner and a partaker of the mission that God had given Paul as he leads and as he instructs and as he guides the church to become who they want to be. And there arose this division. Barnabas wanted to take their old buddy, John Mark, but John Mark let him down in the past. 
When conflict and adversity arose, John Mark was one of the individuals that took a step backwards away from the conflict. Rather than engaging and and addressing those issues and being willing to be persecuted for the right reasons, for the sake of the gospel, not because he was arrogant or or he said things in a wrong way, but, but to suffer purely for the sake of Christ, not for his personality, not for his tone or even the truth, but, but rather to suffer for the cause of Jesus for whatever reason, John Mark withdraws and Paul takes great offense to that and Barnabas wants to bring him along and then we pick up in verse 39 and it says this, but there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other because of it. Barnabas took Mark with him and he sails off to Cyprus. And so here you have the the very beginning of of Paul's, one of his best friends, one of his uh, most loyal supporters, the son of encouragement, to come alongside Paul and they hit this road, this philosophical road where they disagree on whether or not John Mark should come. Now in the original language, we focus in in particular on these two words, sharp disagreements. In the Greek, it's rendered in this Greek word that that really just seems to intimate that scholars would conclude that it simply means a violence of emotions. So this wasn't a petty difference. This wasn't a minor disagreement. This was a philosophical, theological disagreement that rose to the level that emotions were stirred so much so that they would not continue along with one another. Friends, it was a heated Debate. You ever been in one of those with someone? Maybe you lost your cool or you watched them lose their cool. Or maybe it got accusatory rather quickly or or maybe people got too defensive too quickly but for whatever reason it just elevated walking and, and sometimes this happens. It happens to Paul to where this sharp disagreement, it arose and it connotates this violence of emotions. It was an uncomfortable, it was an awkward situation to witness and to be with. But Paul chose Silas and he departed having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia and strengthening the churches, doing what God had called him to do. One of the questions that the text poses for us this morning is this question of the difficulty of of struggling with conflict with fellow co-laborers in the gospel, struggling with conflict in the home and, and in the workplace. And here we see outside of the Lord Jesus, the greatest of all the apostles in my mind who's contributed to the church in more ways through his writing and his leadership. And here you have this man with a sharp disagreement amongst a loyal, kind, encouraging friend as best we tell. And then we jump into our time today to bridge that and we see that Paul struggles with conflict and so it will be true of us that oftentimes we will struggle with conflict. But why? Why do we so often part ways and end friendships and leave churches and change jobs and move friends? Why do we struggle with that? Well, I believe there are several reasons for that. First and foremost, I believe that in the name of grace, we feel that we need to sacrifice truth. We want to be gracious to people, 
And in order to do that, it means that we must never confront them with any kind of truth because we want to lean into being gracious and kind and, and benevolent people, do we not? We want to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit and, and the love and the joy and the peace and the patience with one another. And oftentimes we end up sacrificing truth, leaning into a posture of grace, or to say it another way, when we speak truth, we often don't know how to speak it with grace. We have the right idea. Logic is on our side. The, the argument is compelling, but yet we don't know how to come across in, in the tone. And, and I believe that it's disingenuous to separate what we say from how we say it. It both matters. Because you can have the truth on your side, but if there's no love in your posture and in your demeanor, then you've become what Paul describes in Corinthians as you are this banging gong that no one can hear. You're the man or the woman who's walking around with the hammer, and no one's listening. At the same time, we can be gracious but unwilling to speak the truth, but we also become worried, I think, too often about hurting feelings when the best thing we can do in the midst of conflict is offering genuine feedback to the person. We live in a very sensitive culture, perhaps more sensitive than it's ever been, at least within my lifetime, I could perhaps say that, where everyone's offended of everything, everyone's always mad or upset, and, and we see this, do we not? And at the risk of, of not hurting individuals' feelings, oftentimes we, we struggle with the truth and the conflict. But I think more so than that, it goes beyond that, that when we're in these relationships, whether it be our spousal or our coworkers or, or even at church, we oftentimes don't know how to support someone we genuinely disagree with. How do we live in that, that tension? And, and I think last week was helpful in, in those tears. And, and what am I willing to do? You learn this in marriage, do you not? You learn, how often do I say something that upsets me? And, and how willing are they willing to, to handle it? Should it be every day? Or, and every time I don't like something, should I speak up? Well, well, that's no way to live your marriage, is it not? That ends poorly every single time. But we don't often know how to support someone we genuinely disagree with. And so what do we do with that? I think that in the midst of that, though we don't see this unfold in the text this way, but we later see the church affirm Paul for Paul's view against John Mark being a part. And for whatever that's worth, I think there's a recognition that in the midst of relational conflict, we must be willing to own our part of the conflict. Over 16 years in pastoral ministry, and often when I get together with couples or individuals that need mediation or dealing with conflict in whatever the context may be, there is typically one of the individuals, nine times out of ten, that is the one that is unwilling to take any sense of responsibility, whether it's a failure to communicate or it's a lack of tone. It's always the other person's fault. And listen to me very carefully when it comes to relational conflict. Thinking you are not part of the problem often is the very problem. But we see that Paul splits and John Mark goes with Barnabas. 
And we don't see this play out until later on, the, the reconciliation that perhaps is, is there. And, and I think more so beyond that, one of the things that I've said from this pulpit over and over and over again in, in working through conflict, as the, te- the text often exposes this, that one of the best things that we can do is just simply to believe the best of others. To believe the very best about them. To not ascribe motive to not, a, to not t- attempt to slander their, their character or, or to make it personal. To, to talk to the person rather than about them. To, to speak directly to the issue that's in front of them rather than to, to speak past them in some ways. But we often should believe the best in every case, in most cases, to believe the best about other people and their motivations. And so off they go, and then chapter 16 picks up, and we pick up where the text leaves off, and it says that Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy, who many of us are familiar with. Yes, it is the Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him, and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek of the Jews who were in those places, and they recognized that this thing needed to happen in order for them to be able to accommodate the people that they were going to be able to witness and to share with. But when we read this in in sequential order, what we see demonstrated here is we've just come out of this Jerusalem council where the church has weighed this very issue. Should we require this to consider them a part of the kingdom of God, to be of the faith if they do this very act? And yet in this moment, we see almost, some scholars would say, the hypocrisy of Paul in this moment and going around the authority of the church and Peter's text and his sermon and and addressing this very singular issue that was a divisive thing. Well, what does this tell us? We recognize that in the text, it gives us some clues that the text is not contradicting itself. For we see that it says in the end of verse 3, because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. They understood this, but his mother was Jewish. And in order to win the Jews, not the Gentiles, He partook of this act. I believe that we see Paul alluding to this in 1 Corinthians 9 where he says this, I have made myself a slave to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. Therefore I have become all things to all men that I may by all means save some. Paul understood this, and he was teaching young Timothy this in this very precious moment before him that we are willing to do whatever it takes to see those that are far from God to come to know Christ and the richness and the fullness of what it means to worship and to follow him. And it says that they went on their way through the cities and they delivered them for observance, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem and so on and so forth. And the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. And when they had went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Messiah, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus, he did not allow them to go. 
And so here's the scenario for Paul. He's seeking to be on mission in his missionary journey. He wants to see every tribe, nation, and tongue bow before the slain lamb. He wants to see this execution of of one day where we're all peoples and tribes and colors. And so he says, I'm willing to go. I'll go wherever the Lord calls me to do. I'll do whatever is necessary to see them worship my Jesus. And so he leaves Galatia and he tries to go south and he's denied by the Spirit of God. He then turns around and tries to travel north, and God says, no, you can't go that direction either. So then he tries to go west, and he can't, he's denied that direction as well, and eventually it funnels him straight into Europe because all the doors surrounding Paul were shut. So I walk this way, and God closes the door. I walk this way, and God closes the door. And I walk this way, and God closes the door. Well, the only direction left for me to go is into Europe. And this teaches us something profound about how God works in the midst of of our lives, just as he works in the midst of Paul's life. That God will arrange every single experience in your life to ultimately serve his purpose. There are no wasted experiences that does not exist in the kingdom of God. All of your failures and all of your successes, all of the things in between those failures and successes, God uses to shape you and to bring you along the way. As one old timer said it in my my previous church, God can make a straight line with a very crooked stick. And he does this all the time, constantly arranging all of these things that we endure so that we will serve him with greater purpose. Paul says this in the book of Philippians. He says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served so that the gospel could be advanced. He understood the the shipwrecks and and the snake bites and and being thrown in jail cells and being stoned and, and drug across dirt fields. All of those things happened to him so that he could advance the gospel and have a testimony for the Lord Jesus. And so, They arrive where they need to go, but it picks up in verse 8, and it says this, so passing by Messiah, they went down to Troas. What we see here is the sovereign hand of God guiding Paul and his ministry team. He continues to walk, but God says, keep going, because I'm not going to work there just quite yet, but we have a mission here that's intentional and with great purpose. Friend, today it's better to go to Troas with God than anywhere else without him. Wherever God calls you to go, and as long as he's leading and he's guiding that, we want to be where it is, where God is, and where he's working, and in the midst of our city, and and we want to be a part of the kingdom work that God is doing. Then it goes on in verse 9, and it says, this vision, and a vision then appeared to Paul at night, and a man of Macedonia was standing here, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and to help us. And so the Lord instructs him to go to the hard place, to go to the darkest place, to go to the place with the greatest need. And and Paul, in, in his posture and in his attitude, was willing to say, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll go wherever it is that you send me, God. 
Because I'd rather be with you in hard and difficult places. I would rather serve in in the most needed areas in my church because, Lord, if that's where I know that you want me and that's where you are, then I'm willing to do that. It may not be the one that ever ventures upon this platform. It may not be the one that, that is in the greatest amount of spotlight, but it's where God has called you to be. And so, friend, that's where we want to go. We want to seek to serve the greatest area of need in our church and in our churches. We want to be willing to say that we are willing to let go of some of you as God calls perhaps some of you to the uttermost parts of the world, to walk away from the American dream and the perfect house and car and and even the ideal family, to tithe your, your years to the Lord on the mission field, to be willing to go whether you're 50 years old or, or 20 years old, but wherever it is that we want to seek the greatest area of need in our churches and in our globe, we want to be willing to go to those places. And Paul, verse 10, concludes, and when they had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Amen. And so we went. Amen. This morning, I want to conclude our time with really two thoughts. One is this. I, by way of the text at the end of chapter 15, I want to issue just a clarion call to many of you that maybe you find yourself in relational difficulties. And my ask of you this morning before the Lord is this, are, are, you, are you responsible for those difficulties? What your part is, perhaps what could it be, gently. And getting right first with the Lord, but also getting right with that person, or that group, or that circle. And owning your part and, and seeking to be faithful in the gospel and to achieve reconciliation and redemption under the authority of the gospel of Jesus. But number two is this, that I believe that some of you that are here this morning, perhaps maybe you've been struggling with your own failures in life. Maybe you've come to the conclusion wrongly that God couldn't use you and won't use your failures to shape you for his purpose and won't use your mistakes. And friends, I'm telling you, the Lord, I see this every day in the life of our church. God is constantly using sinful people who have made mistakes, who have erred. But then God has a way through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus to bring them about and then to call them to greater purposes and, and places to be used for his kingdom. God is in the business, if you will, of using our failures to expand his kingdom and to grow his purposes here on this earth. And I believe some of you just need to rest in that truth this morning. that God still wants to use you for his kingdom. God wants to use you for his church. The local church, my friend, is plan A. And he wants to use you here. How will you be used? How will you let him? Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you that through Christ we have forgiveness of sins. That you hear our cries for salvation that you redeem relationships regularly. 
And I pray, Lord, today that if there are any watching or here today in this room that are in conflict with others, whether it be at home or at work or here at this church, Lord, I pray that today they'd be reconciled in your gospel. I pray, God, for those that might be struggling this morning with just, could God use me? That you would just gently whisper to them, yes, yes, I can, and yes, I will. With every head bowed and every eyes closed, if you're here today and you've not confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord or believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then friend, let today be the day of your salvation. Come and see that the Lord is good in saving people today. Father, would you convict us of our sins? Would you change us? Would you help us deal honestly with you? We ask in Christ's name and God's people said,